Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Where is God when you are running from your past? Where is God when you have burned all your bridges? Join us for the message, Stairway to Heaven. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Where is God when you are running from your past? Where is God after you've burned all your bridges? Well, stay tuned for our message today, Stairway to Heaven. The scripture reading this week come from the first book in Genesis, chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. Listen now to the word of God. Jacob left Beersheba, and he went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. I don't know if this is still true. But by the end of the 1970s, there appeared in music stores everywhere a sign in the guitar department which would read, No Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> Evidently during this time period, whenever someone would come in and peruse the new guitars, they would inevitably start playing the Led Zeppelin song, Stairway to Heaven. And as someone myself, who learned to play the guitar in the 1970s, can attest, learning to play Stairway to Heaven was a rite of passage for every budding guitar player of that era. So no doubt the music store employees got to the point where just the thought of having to suffer once more through tortured renditions of Stairway to Heaven 
would, none, would get to the point where they could be actually physically ill. But I don't think either the beginning guitar players nor those store employees were aware of the fact that the imagery for a stairway to heaven comes directly from the book of Genesis and the story of Jacob. Now this is the second part of a three-part sermon series on Jacob. And as I revealed last week, Jacob's one of my favorite characters in the Bible, not because he's particularly admirable, but just because he's really psychologically complex, and I find him very interesting. He could be a conniving con man who is not always a very good son or a very good husband or a very good father, and conflict followed him wherever he went. He was smart, but he would use his intelligence to take advantage of others. And Jacob was also a homebody, liked to stay there in the tents with his mom, but he, he may have appeared quiet, but he was always thinking ahead and scheming about his next move. Well, our story opens in a day scripture reading. Jacob is on his way to the city of Haran and stops for the night. And there he has this very vivid dream about a ladder or a stairway to heaven. The Hebrew word that's used here, by the way, can be translated either as ladder or stairway. And English translations are about 50-50 whether or not they choose ladder or stairway. But we want to ask why, however, is this homebody who likes to stay around the tents with his mom on his way to a distant city. Well, as you recall last week, Jacob had manipulated his twin brother Esau to give up his birthright. That is, Esau's right to receive a double inheritance from their father as the firstborn son. And it was some time after that, though, that Jacob was forced to begin his very long journey. Jacob leaves what would now be uh, the modern country of Israel, kind of toward the south, the southern part of the north, modern country of Israel, to go to a place that would now be in the modern country of Turkey, about 550 miles away, or in other words, the distance between here and Lincoln, Nebraska. And he's going to go there on foot. And we have to ask why. Well, the preceding chapter of Genesis answers that question. It tells the story of how his father Isaac who's now, who's the father of Jacob and Esau, he's now blind, he's aging, he doesn't know how much longer he's going to live, and he wants to bestow upon Isaac, or excuse me, upon Esau, his firstborn son, the blessing that he has coming to him as the firstborn son. So he asked Esau, who would love to hunt, to go hunt, get some wild game, come back and prepare his favorite meal. And at that point, Isaac will give Esau his blessing as firstborn son. So Esau exits stage left to go and hunt some wild game. Now Rebekah, the wife of Isaac and the mother of Esau and Jacob, overhears this conversation, and she knows she's got to act now because the blessing of the firstborn son would then officially make Esau the head of the family. And remember that before Esau and Jacob were born, Rebekah had received an oracle that the elder son would serve the younger son. So if Jacob, who was the second son, was to become the head of the family, as the Lord's oracle had predicted, then Jacob needed to receive this blessing. Because once the blessing was given, it could not be revoked. So Rebekah tells Jacob to quickly go fetch two young goats, and she begins to make Isaac his favorite meal. And she tells Esau that he'll... 
he'll take the meal to Isaac and pretend to be Esau. Now, Isaac was now blind, and so this way it was thought Jacob will receive the blessing instead of Esau. But Jacob points out, however, that his brother Esau is a very hairy man, while Jacob is smooth as skin. If Isaac were to reach out and touch him, he's going to realize this is an Esau, and Jacob might receive a curse instead of a blessing. So Rebecca says, let the curse be on me, just do what I say. I've heard my mom say something like that before. So Rebecca prepares the meal and then dresses Jacob in Esau's finest clothes. She then takes the skins of the goats and puts them on the back of Jacob's hands and forearms and on the back of his neck so that it mimics the feel of Esau's hairy body. And all I can say is, if a goat skin could fool Isaac, then Esau must have been really hairy. Well, Jacob then takes the meal into Isaac and declares, I am Esau, your firstborn. But Isaac is suspicious right from the start. And he asks him how he found the game so quickly. Oh, because the Lord your God granted me success. Isaac then asks Jacob to come closer and touches him. And he says, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. So Isaac asks one more time if it's really Esau, and Jacob one more time lies and says, yes, he is Esau. So Jacob begins, uh, brings him the meal, or excuse me, Jacob brings him the meal, Isaac eats, and then Isaac then asks Jacob to come give him a kiss. So Jacob comes forward to kiss his father, which gives Isaac a chance to smell his son. Now, because Jacob is in Esau's clothes, however, he smells like Esau. So at that point, Isaac is satisfied, and he gives Jacob the blessing. And the blessing went like this. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be anyone who curses you, and blessed be anyone who blesses you. Well, as soon as Jacob receives the blessing, he gets out of there. And he had only just been gone a second when the real Esau comes into the room again with one of his father's favorite meals. And Isaac says, who are you? I am your firstborn son, Esau. And then the text says that Isaac begins shaking violently and he begins to ask, who was it then who came in here with my favorite meal and received the blessing? Well, at that point, Esau let out a great cry and began repeating, bless me, bless me also, father. And Isaac said, your brother has acted deceitfully and has taken your blessing. And I have made him your Lord. What then can I do for you? And it's really a very poignant scene Isaac, or excuse me, Esau just begins to weep and he keeps repeating, bless me, bless me also, Father, bless me also. So this is the only blessing that Isaac had left. And so he said this to Esau. See, away from the fatness of the earth shall your home be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you break loose... You shall break his yoke from your neck. It's kind of a mixed blessing. 
So as you can imagine, Esau is this time, he's just furious at his brother Jacob. And he begins plotting to kill him. He's, he's that angry. So Rebekah gets wind of this and he tells, or she tells Jacob to go visit her brother who's back in the city of Haran and wait there until Esau has had a chance to, to cool down. So on the pretense of going to find a wife, Jacob leaves his family and starts toward his uncle's house, uh, 700 plus miles away. So the son who loved to stay near the tents of home with his mom now finds himself on the road and on the run and sleeping out in the field with a rock as a pillow. If you want to get into an interesting discussion on ethics, ask the question, did Rebecca act ethically in this situation? And there's been a tendency in the past to interpret Rebecca's actions in a very either-or, black-or-white sense of terms. There are those who believe that since Jacob is destined to be the ancestor of the nation of Israel, then any action is justified to bring him to primacy. Others see nothing but lies and deceit in Rebecca's actions, therefore they are not justified. From one perspective, Rebecca is just doing her best to fulfill the oracle she received from the Lord. As a woman in a patriarchal society, she had no power of her own to assure that God's will was done. She had to work within the social realities that she faced and just do the best she could. And I tell you, she definitely comes off as the most intelligent and practical person in this family. In fact, many biblical scholars think this particular story about Rebecca would have actually been one of the favorite stories of the women of the nation of Israel about their fellow Israelite sister who got one over on her husband and sons. But on the other hand, if it was God's will for Jacob to be the heir of the promise, did God really need Rebecca's help to make that come true? And I do want to ask, did Rebecca ever tell Isaac about that oracle that she received before the sons were even born? And it did say in the scripture we read last week that Jacob loved, or excuse me, Rebecca loved Jacob. But you also want to ask, did Rebecca also love Esau at all? Well, even though in the end Jacob receives the blessing of the firstborn son, and he becomes the ancestor of the nation of Israel, both he and Rebekah are going to pay a very high price for this honor. Rebekah tells Jacob that she'll, send him, that she'll send for him once Esau's anger subsides, but the fact is that she never sees her favorite son again. And Jacob is going to spend the next 20 years with his uncle, and Rebecca is going to go on having to live with a husband and son whom she has now deceived. And so that leaves Jacob the mama's boy, as I said, on the road and on the run and sleeping out in the open with a rock as a pillow. And he's trying to walk to a place that would be the equivalent of you and I trying to walk to Lincoln, Nebraska. Jacob is vulnerable and he's scared and he's alone probably for the first time in his life, seriously alone, that rock may have been less uh, as a, he had it less as a pillow and more there for a weapon that he might use just in case he gets attacked. And I think that Jacob there is at the lowest point of his entire life. So as Jacob sleeps, he has a dream that transforms his life. He dreams that he sees 
a ladder, or in some translations, a stairway or a ramp, going all the way up to heaven, with angels ascending and descending and going up and down. And then suddenly the Lord is standing beside Jacob and says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. At that moment, Jacob bolts awake from his sleep and he declares, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. How awesome, excuse me, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Well, the next morning, Jacob takes that stone and takes it from being a pillow to being a pillar to commemorate his holy dream. And he pours oil on it as an offering and also to distinguish it from the other stones that are there. And Jacob has what theologians call a theophany. A theophany is a direct experience and revelation from God. So for the first time then we see in the biblical text, God has spoken directly to Jacob and reaffirmed the covenant that was originally made through Abraham and then passed on to Isaac. And God again makes covenant, this time with Jacob, and promises land and progeny and blessing. Furthermore, God promises to be with Jacob as he travels on his journey out of the promised land. God will bring Jacob back to the land and will never leave him until all of these promises have been fulfilled. What Jacob has just gone through is an experience of pure grace. God set no conditions. God made no demands. Jacob was not chosen because of any particular trait or accomplishment on his part. Jacob exclaims in surprise that God is in this place. But the truth is, is that God has been with him from the beginning. God was, has been with Jacob in every place. It's just Jacob has not been aware of it. In fact, this is what John Wesley calls prevenient grace, the grace that surrounds us from our birth, the grace that's just waiting for us to respond in faith. In truth, we say God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. It's we humans who have so much trouble perceiving that. And because we are such fragile humans, we need things like sanctuaries and worship spaces and liturgy and ritual and music and art and prayer. God is always around us, but we need these things to help open up our perception, to open up our hearts and our minds and our spirit to the reality of God. And God is continuously coming down from heaven to stand beside us. We cannot, we cannot climb the ladder up to God. God must ascend to us. And that ladder, that stairway, represents God's desire to be in relationship with us. God comes down to us in our deepest despair to meet us where we are and to remind us that there is no place to go but up, and this too shall pass. 
The greatest example of this, of course, is in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. As the gospel writer John says, the word became flesh and lived among us. And then Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, quotes from a hymn that would have been very well known in the ancient church when he writes, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and came obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So in essence, Christ came down that ladder from heaven and dwelt among us as a humble and vulnerable human being who starts off in the form of a human baby, the most vulnerable type of human being you can imagine. In preparation for this sermon series on Jacob, I read a book written by a Jewish Freudian psychoanalyst who grew up in Israel. And I can tell you she has a real field day with this family from Genesis. In her commentary on this particular passage, she reminds her readers that ladders or stairways are also symbols of the human desire to grow, to rise up, to transcend and transform our own lives. And reading that made me remember that many, many years ago that there was a time where for several months I kept dreaming of a large house and this huge staircase that went up hundreds of feet up until the third and fourth stories of this large house. And even though I was so scared, I just kept climbing that stairway and climbing it and climbing it higher and higher. And eventually I realized that these dreams were part of my call to ordained ministry. And after I answered that call and became an official certified candidate for ministry, I found that the dreams subsided. The dreams by that time had served their purpose. And I think Jacob too wanted to become more than just a homebody who got what he had by manipulation and deception. I do believe that there was a better part of him that wanted to live up to this promise of the covenant that had been given to his grandfather Abraham and passed on to him through his father Isaac. And just as God promised to be with Jacob until all these other promises were fulfilled, so too does God promise to stay with us and to finish what has been started within us. And again in Philippians, Paul writes, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. After setting up that stone pillow into a pillar at Bethel, Jacob makes a vow. He says, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I've set up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. Well, notice that Jacob's vow of loyalty to God is conditional. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear and bring me again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. 
if God is faithful, then Jacob, of all that God has given him, will give back one-tenth to God. This is the beginning, by the way, of the, of the tradition of tithing. Now, Jacob had just stated, or excuse me, God had just stated to Jacob in the dream, know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. God offers an unconditional pledge of presence and support, and Jacob's responds with a very conditional response. Only if God stays with Jacob will Jacob consider the Lord his God. You see, Jacob has a very hard time understanding grace. And we will, as we will see, this follows Jacob throughout his entire life. But we do find at Bethel that Jacob, the deceiver, the supplanter, the Slytherin, <laughs> has finally met his match. This God cannot be grabbed or supplanted or manipulated or deceived. This God knows Jacob better than Jacob will ever know himself. And this God sees the places of darkness that are there in Jacob's soul, yet he bestows upon him the promise and then loves and supports Jacob just the same. And I think God loves and supports us just the same as well. Because we are grabbers and supplanters and manipulators and deceivers. We cheat our fellow human beings out of all sorts of things that are rightfully theirs. And we've had to run away, too, from problems and situations that were of our own making. But there is a ladder of grace beside us. And God is in this place, even when we do not know it. And we are in the house of God. We are asleep as the gate of heaven is opened up in our midst with angels of grace descending upon that stairway to walk beside us as we journey into that unknown. So keep a lookout for all those places where God may be meeting you face to face. Because every place is Bethel. Every place is the house of God if you have the eyes to see. And so keep your hearts open because God has a dream for each of us. Know that the Lord is with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. And the Lord will not leave you until God has delivered all that has been promised. Amen. Amen. Now receive this benediction. This is the house of God. And this is the stairway to heaven. So as you leave this place, know that the Lord goes with you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we conclude our sermon series on the biblical character of Jacob with the message, Wrestling with the Face of God. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.